RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care providers of the New Jersey Devils, as I'm joined in part one by Sam Kassan, as we're going to get to know a little bit more about a recently signed Devils prospect who is now trying to make his way to the National Hockey League. Sam, very excited to get to know more about Tice Thompson. Yeah, and, and I love getting to know more of the personal side of some of these players. Like like I've said many times, we get to see them on the ice and we think of them as strictly hockey players. We forget the human side and the human element of these things. So I like to peel back the veneer a little bit and get to know these guys as human beings. And it's always you always find some fun little nuggets and tidbits as you do that. Recently signed after completing his junior season at Providence, he is practicing with the Devils. And he is hoping, of course, that uh, his path continues forward and he plays a long career in the National Hockey League. Comes from a hockey family. His dad, Brent, played in the league, coached along the way in the minors, has been up in the National Hockey League as an assistant, now with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. His brother, Tage, plays for the Buffalo Sabres. That's hockey, baby. So let's join Tice Thompson on this edition of Speak of the Devils. So as we welcome Tice Thompson to our Speak of the Devils podcast, Tice, I've got to ask you a question. Your brother is Tage, you're Tice, four-letter words that begin with the letter T. Is there a story behind those first names? Because honestly, you're the first Tice I've ever spoken with. No, uh, there's no real story. I think uh, my parents were just looking in like a baby book uh, and found found those two names. Uh, I think they just must have liked the letter T or something. <laughs> Well, it fits, that's for sure. And uh, you and your brother have worn those those names well. I want to ask you a question about your brother, Tage. Of course, plays for the Buffalo Sabres, and the Devils have played the Sabres uh, for a bit now. And in doing some research, it said that he attended 11 high schools. Now, I know your dad has coached. He played, coached, and moved, moved around a little bit. But 11 schools that he went to, did you attend a lot of schools growing up, too, as you followed your yeah. dad's career around? Yeah, yeah. I went to, I think, 12 schools. Um, so my senior year was my 12th school. Um, and it's just like we moved moved around so much uh, just for my dad playing and, and coaching now. So we're always we're always moving and uh, we don't really have like a home base. <laughs> well, listen, uh, you're a hockey family. What was that like, though, moving as your dad kept progressing? Now he's the head coach of the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. As he progressed through his coaching career, what was it like to kind of move from town to town? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people um, probably like will say that sucks, but I, I thought it was pretty cool um, experiencing new places. Um, you know, we, we were fortunate to live in Alaska, which is some 
some uh, place that was obviously pretty neat um, and just meet a lot of new people along the way, which was a lot, a lot of fun. One last one. And then uh, Sam, you can step in here. What was it like in Alaska? What do you remember from your time there? What was so cool about it? Well, I was there when I was nine and 10 years old. So um, just being there and after school, going to skate on the outdoor rinks, every school had an outdoor rink. Uh, I learned how to snowboard there, uh, fish and, and hike and all that outdoor stuff. So it was just a lot of fun and a lot of new uh, experiences that I, I wouldn't have had elsewhere. Cool. And going off that, your dad was still playing when you were young. I know you were really young, but do you have any memories? I know that was a real long time ago. You were only five when he retired, but anything still uh, up in your brain on that? Yeah, I mean, a couple of vague memories of him fighting, uh, but <laughs> but not no nothing nothing. I was pretty young, same with my brother, so I don't really remember too much. Um, more so when he was coaching, um, kind of going down to the rink with him in the mornings and uh, being around the guys and stuff. So. I was going to ask if you were a rink rat because I know a lot of a lot of players and coaches tend to bring their kids around the rink, especially on those levels. Uh, were you around the team a lot or those teams? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, um, sometimes maybe the the odd day we'd miss school and, and go down and just skate with the after, before and after practice and uh, be around the rink all the time. So um, it was definitely a lot of fun and probably a reason why me and my brother are both playing playing hockey today. And was that a lot of, I mean, I don't know what age you were when you put on your first pair of skates, I'm guessing two or three, but it seems like that's kind of in the blood for the families that, that are hockey people. Is that kind of way it goes for your family? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I think I started skating when I was three, same with my brother um, and just kind of all we knew. Um, I mean, we saw it every day and it's what, it's what we wanted to do. And um, fortunately we're both, we're both still doing it. So that you always wanted to be a hockey player. You don't want to be a professional snowboarder or anything like that. No. <laughs> no. A professional golfer, nothing else under no. your hand. I mean, golf, golf would be nice uh, now, but no, um, I think it's a little late to try to make the tour. Um, but, <laughs> but no, uh, no, I mean, ever since a young age, me and my brother both wanted to be hockey players. Um, and I mean, we still do. So. And has your dad, coached you at all obviously he was a coach but I'm, and I'm sure he's giving you some pointers growing up but what's it like having a dad that not only played in the league then but also is a coach of other players but also helped you in your maturation too as a player yeah it was huge I mean having him there the whole way um whether it was coming out for our practices to help out or or in the summer skating us um he still skates us in the summer so um no it's just like showing us different different tips uh while we're on the ice and uh kind of seeing how he has been through it and what he's seen other guys go through has helped us, um, in, in our maturity. Does he skate you pretty hard? Yeah. Yeah. No, they're not easy. You know, no. <laughs> well, you know, dads are that way and that's that fine line dad coach, but he's got the experience and he played in the league as Sam mentioned, uh, played just under 200 games in the national hockey league and has played an awful lot of pro hockey do you ever look up his fights you ever go to like hockeyfights.com and check out some of the fights that your dad was involved in because that part of the game has just about died out yeah no i mean occasionally i'll go on youtube and look at a few fights but not not too often maybe when i was younger i looked at more of them um but no sometimes they're fun to watch the, the, like i said it's it's a bygone era that is for sure all right so moving on to you what was the decision uh, to leave Providence after this year and begin your pro career. Why now? Why not wait? You could have waited another year, gone back to Providence for your senior year. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of thought about it. Um, 
you know, whether I stay or leave, but I just felt like it was the right move to make. I felt I was ready to, to make the jump to pro hockey. Um, and, um, you know, I enjoyed my three years at Providence, uh, the, the, the coaches there and the, the team, but it was just, uh, felt like it was the right time to, to make the switch. What made it the right time this year, as opposed to say after last season, maybe when you had such a brilliant year as a sophomore, this year was good. Don't get me wrong, but you know, everything was going right. And you, maybe you could have begun your career last year. Was there something you wanted to do at Providence, whether it's with the team advance in the playoffs or just physically you wanted to mature a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, one of those, uh, being getting bigger and stronger. I thought another year would have been best for my development. Um, you know, it, you're never, it's never a rush, you know, um, it's probably better to take more time than, than less. And, uh, I figured going back would give me some more time working out a lot during the year, uh, put on some weight. And also, um, I mean, we, we hadn't won there yet. So going back, uh, another chance to win. And this year it obviously didn't go our way. Um, but no, there's a lot of different situations. Uh, I was put into a, a leadership role this year. Um, so just a lot of things that kind of rounded out my overall game that I, I wouldn't have had if I left after two years. And you mentioned beforehand about following the devil's plan. And, and I know just from working with Tom Fitzgerald, Dan McKinnon, those guys, they never like to rush prospects and they always have an idea when they get a guy, whether he's two years down the road, three years down the road, when you got drafted, did they kind of map that out for you? Like we see you playing two more years in college and then kind of making the jump to here. Cause I know they've worked with a lot of guys on the various levels of that development program. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I being drafted in 2019, I was obviously, it was my third year of eligibility. So I was a little older than most of the kids in the draft. Um, so I think um, out of the draft, I think my uh, turning pro would be sooner um, than a lot of those kids just for my age. Um, so uh, I knew maybe one or two more years, um, but um, no, I thought, I think we all kind of figured after my junior year would be when, uh, when I'd be, when I'd be leaving. And going up that obviously signing with the team, what was it like to sign that pro contract? I mean, you put so much work into it over three years in college and, and you talked about it, it was your dream since you were a little kid. So what was it like no. to actually sign that contract? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely special. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's not uh, fully my dream, you know. I want to get into the NHL and be regular and and play uh, and uh, eventually win the Stanley Cup here. So, I mean, that's my main dream. But to sign it, know that you're one step closer. Um, it was it was really cool um, and a great a good moment for my me and my whole family. Um, just to know that all the hard work hard work is finally paying off. I want to move back uh, just a little bit and roll back uh, the curtain a few years, if you will, roll back the time machine. And, and that is when you get drafted. So now you're still with Providence College. You've got a great coach there. It's a fantastic program. And so there's development there that you're undertaking, plus you're going to school. And yet the Devils have those in the organization who follow and check in on you and, and make sure things are going well. Like how does that relationship work between some of the things and what are some of those questions that devil's people are asking you while at the same time, allowing enough freedom for the Providence staff to do what they need to do and have done so well. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the, I like the way the devils did it. Um, they kind of give you a little bit of space and let you just play and, and worry about what's going on in the moment at, at Providence. And, um, I did talk to, um, their player development guys, um, you know, once a week or 
maybe once every two weeks, but um, no, it was good. I mean, they just usually call and check in, see how I'm doing. Um, they can help in any way. Um, so nothing too serious, but it was nice to know that they're still interested in like um, checking in on you. Do they keep you apprised as to what's going on with the devils? Like, is it just, Hey, how are you doing? We're interested in you and you doing your thing at Providence, but are they also giving you a bigger picture? Hey, here's where we're at as we continue to grow our foundation and we want to project to the future where we hope to take this team. What are those conversations like? Yeah, I think more, more like the first part, just kind of checking in on me, um, seeing how things are going. Um, you know, I don't think, they uh, want to get into too serious talk while the season's going on. I think that's more um, during the summer and, and um, in that sense. But no, I mean, it was nice just to, I usually talk to Patrick Chris Miller. Um, so he usually called me once a week and we just chatted about school or hockey and it was pretty uh, relaxed and laid back. Well, speaking of development coaches, I know shout out to Mike Kadar, who's the strength and conditioning development coach for the devils. How close did you work with him? Cause you talked about putting on size, getting stronger, and those things, how, how did you work with him and what did you do to kind of add that size and mass to your frame? Yeah, I know he was always in contact with my strength coach at Providence. Um, they always communicated and yeah, he would reach out to me a couple times too. Um, and um, it was good just to make sure that I was following the right programs and, and keeping up with what he had in mind for me um, and what the Devils wanted in terms of my size and, and getting bigger. And do you think that helped? Is that one of the reasons you had such a breakout sophomore season or what do you, maybe do you attribute to having such a stellar year? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you go back to a place for a second year, um, you have a lot more confidence. You are uh, older, bigger, stronger. So I think just all of that put together um, kind of helped with that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that confidence is a big key to, to your play. And I thought I had a lot of it last year and, and this year too. Do you have a size goal in mind somewhere you're trying to reach? Yeah. I mean, trying to add as much muscle as you can. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm probably capped out at six, two right now. Um, but if I could put on maybe 10 to 15 pounds uh, this summer, I think that'd be great. Yeah, that would uh, certainly add more mass and bulk, and that would be fantastic. So you sign with the Devils, and they you know, put you with the big club. You've been assigned number 12. You've started to practice with them versus, say, like your fellow prospect, uh, Arna Talavitia. Uh, so was it important to you as you were deciding what to do that you get that opportunity? Can you let us know, you know what some of your goals were once you signed? Like, hey, I really want to give it a shot here or did the devils offer it? How did that all that work out? Yeah. I mean, I obviously want to be in the NHL um, and be with the guys here. Um, I mean, I think everyone does. So um, when I was thinking about signing, um, that was definitely talked about coming right to New Jersey and being here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I'm excited to be here and, and just be practicing with the guys. What was it like as you walked into the room and you saw that number 12 sweater with your name on it? Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. I mean, uh, to see my name on a NHL jersey is pretty cool. And just to walk into the room and uh, for the first practice, see all the guys that, you know, you're watching on TV every night at school or even beforehand. Um, it's just pretty cool to finally see them and be on the same ice with them. 
What did you think you knew about the National Hockey League and the ability of players from watching them, from what you've been able to do? I'm sure you've practiced against some of them who became, let's say, practiced against them or played against them while they were in college. They became NHLers. And of course, you grow up in a, in a family of hockey players. I'm just wondering, like, did when you experienced that moment, either on the ice or whatever, you said, whoa, I've, I've hit another level here. Yeah, it's definitely a lot faster. I mean, everyone's bigger, stronger, faster. Um, things happen pretty quick here. Um, I mean, I think a lot of that will be um, experienced in a game. Um, you know, it's harder to tell in practice, but, um, you know, it's just watching on TV. You can just see, like, uh, the players are a lot smarter and make plays quicker, and everything happens so fast that uh, it's definitely going to be an adjustment period. You mentioned um... – seeing them being bigger, stronger, faster. But you also had said that Providence really played a pro-style type of game that got you ready. How much does that help having been in that program and that system in Providence with the translation into the pro game? Yeah, uh, really big. I think, I mean, a lot of the things that Lindy Ruff has been talking about in practice and film and stuff is pretty consistent with what my coaches at Providence talk about. So um, it's nice to kind of, I'm not like, it's not like crazy shock, you know, hearing what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, it's because I've heard it before from my coaches as well back at school. And just for Devils fans listening at home, how would you describe your style of play, your type of play, maybe a role that fits well for you? Because I know in Providence, you basically played on every line possible, first to fourth, you played wing, played center, played power play, penalty kill. But where do you see your style fitting in? Yeah, I think I'm good on both sides of the ice. I try to play a 200-foot game. Uh, I think I compete pretty hard. and. And when given the opportunity, I think I can make a play and, and score too. So, um, you know, I think when I'm physical and moving my feet, uh, I'm pretty effective. And what's Let's the last week? Oh, I know I'm you, sorry, Sam. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was just going to ask the last week because I know you had to quarantine for a week while the team was away. But during that time, it almost worked out perfectly because you were able to get to the rink, work on some skills. You know, what did you work on with uh, skills coach Murphy and – where have you kind of seen your your own game progress a little bit over that week? Yeah, no, it's been it was great to have the opportunity to go down and the rink every day while the team was on the road and work with Murph, um, just one on one. It's been a lot better than staying in a hotel. So, um, no, I mean we just worked on like you know typical uh, skill stuff, skill drills, uh, stick handling, shooting. Um, it was just a good way to stay fresh and stay uh, ready for when the team got back to jump into practice and not not really miss a beat. I'm glad you mentioned an answer or two ago when you were describing your play score, because a lot of guys go, oh, I'm good at both ends of the ice. I like to think I'm good in the corners. I play the right way. You still have to outscore the opponent to win. (laughs) And coaches are going to appreciate all those other things. But you know what? They're really going to appreciate if you can score. And, and, And I know sometimes players just say what they think we all want to hear, or maybe their coach wants to hear. But yes, you have to be able to score in this game. To, to stay up at this level. So uh, we're looking forward to that opportunity that you will provide for yourself and for the team. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can uh, come in and score. Um, but I know you got to do the other things. I get it. That's, that's, that's the way uh, yeah. you're brought up. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. Uh, unless you're going to be a 60 goal scorer, in which case the other <laughs> things could slide off a little bit. So are, are you looking forward to seeing your brother play up close? Because the Devils have Buffalo a couple of times coming up here. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Um, I mean, I, I usually you thought you might get in there. Have you thought about when it might happen? How cool would yeah, that be? Yeah, 
I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely a possibility, uh, and if that happens, it's gonna be it's gonna be really special, uh, especially for it being uh, my first game. If not, and I'm just waiting for the the next opportunity. But no, I mean, it would be cool to, whether I'm on the ice or not, just to see him in, in action up up close. You know, I usually it's been a while since I've seen him play live. Um, it should be cool to see him up close uh, playing because the last time I saw him play was a while ago. Um, but I, I usually watch his games online, but it's not quite the same as he's actually in person. Yeah, he's a little older than you. Did you guys play a little like shinny together? And what was that like growing up? Yeah, I mean, I, I never, I've never played against him really. Um, maybe, Not even like, on an outdoor rink, backdoor rink, no, or anything like that. No, like on an outdoor rink or maybe in the summer, three on three stuff like that. Um, but never in a really uh, super competitive setting. You don't have the little brother trying to outplay the older brother kind of thing going. No, no, we do. I mean, we're competitive within, within the, uh, each other, um, usually trying to outnumber or outdo the other one, um, but nothing, uh, not like any 5-on-5 game against each other. And saying how happy were you for him when he got drafted in the first round? Yeah. Nice no. moment for the family. No, it was really cool. I wasn't able to be there, um, unfortunately, but it was definitely cool to see him go in the first round and, and uh that's one of his dreams, you know, to, to be drafted and to be drafted that I was definitely uh, pretty special for him and, and myself too. And you mentioned being passed over a few times in the draft and the devils went and selected you. I mean, how did that feel? I mean, is there a little bit of a part of you that wants to prove to these teams that they made a mistake by passing on you? And, and I guess maybe there's a little fire in your engine for that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, the devils, I mean, took a shot on me, uh, my third, third year of eligibility. Um, so I feel, uh, I felt, I mean, loyal to sign with them and, and to, uh, to prove everyone else wrong. Um, and that I, I could play, I could play at this level and hopefully I can. Was there ever any part of you that thought maybe this wouldn't happen? I mean, when you get uh, in the draft, it's probably not, you know, good for the confidence. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you go through the draft twice, you think maybe you'll just go free agency, um, and kind of, my year at Providence, uh, I was kind of just, you know, thinking about, you know, I'll probably be a free agent. I wasn't really too thinking about the draft too much, uh, like the previous two years. Um, and of course that's the year that I, I got drafted, you know, I wasn't really worrying about it. Um, so it just kind of happened. So it's gotta be extra sweet getting passed over two years. Now you're this close to making it into the NHL. I bet that that's gotta be a little extra sweet for you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely rewarding, um, to know that, uh, a team likes you to take you in the draft, uh, but you know the draft's not everything. You know there's a lot of free agents that sign and, and end up making it. So I was willing to go that route, uh, but fortunately uh, the Devils picked me up, and I'm I'm happy to be a part of their organization now. You're saying well, there's a doubt in your mind you would be here. What was that? So there's never a doubt in your mind that you would make it here. No, no, I, I felt pretty confident that eventually I would I would make it to the NHL, and you know uh, hopefully that day will come soon. And there is a history of New Jersey Devils players signing as undrafted free agents. Not that you have to worry about that, but you're right. Uh, and those players went on to fabulous Devils career. So, yeah, there there is no question that is a route to the NHL as well. Hey, last couple from me. And we've talked about your dad and your brother. How about your mom? Tell us a little bit about mom and, you know, the role she played in all this. Hockey, obviously, a huge part of the family. Tell us a little bit about your mom, Kim. Yeah, I mean, she she's from Arizona. Um, her whole family's from Arizona. So not really a hockey hotbed. And now it's kind of picking up a little bit. 
Um, but no, I mean, she was, she was unbelievable for both me and my brother, um, trying to juggle both of us, uh, going to tournaments, uh, same time, but different places, you know, uh, maybe it was sending me off to, uh, with a family to go to Chicago or something. And my brother, um, somewhere else, but no, she stay in hotels, um, and driving all the time. So she was great. Did she know anything about hockey or has she learned a great deal along the way? I think she learned a lot along the way. Um, even before me and my brother were born, um, being with my dad. Um, but no, in the, in the beginning when we were a lot younger, uh, she was, she definitely learned a lot, uh, being around us. And, uh, now she's, she's actually pretty knowledgeable. Was she, was she an athlete? Is she an athlete? Um, she's athletic. She, she never really played any sports though, uh, growing up. Well, we look forward to meeting uh, your mom, and uh, that'll be a special moment when she can watch her two boys uh, play in the National Hockey League. What do you do for fun besides hockey? Yeah, uh, for fun, I like to go to the beach, uh, play golf, um, watch movies, play cards. Um, you know, I I'm, I feel like I'm pretty active. I don't really like to sit around too much, so uh, whatever gets me moving and and uh, not not in the house. Binge watcher, uh, anything that you're watching now? Uh, no, not really. I mean, white collar a little bit. Uh, but I, again, I I don't love to just sit around and, and watch TV. I like to get outside and do stuff. So, Any uh, musical tastes? Favorite bands, favorite styles? Yeah, probably country is my, my favorite. Um, I like EDM stuff too, uh, like Avicii, but... Um, no, maybe like Kane Brown's probably my guy. You play any instruments? No, no. I I, I played the trombone back in high or middle school because I had to, but that was it. Did you pick the trombone? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was like that or the flute. So if we found a trombone, could you still play a note or two that, that would make it sound like, you know what you're doing? Yeah, I don't know. I, I usually just look to the kid on the left or right of me and try to copy him, but <laughs> I, was, I wasn't that good. <laughs> well, you, you found your calling in hockey. Let me ask you this then. So what's the key to getting a good note out of that trombone? I mean, that, that wind's got to go through a, a lot of metal before it comes out and makes a sound, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think you want to. Yeah, I mean... I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I really was not that good, but uh, I just kind of moved the slide up and down and hopefully it hits the note. I would be great faking it, just doing this a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know you mentioned that you you want to finish your degree, obviously at Providence. I don't, I don't know if I have this right, but it's business economics major. Is that accurate? No, it's, it's not. I, um, I switched it after my freshman year to uh, social science. Um, and uh, I have, I think, after this, I mean, I'm taking classes right now still. And after this semester, I'll have, uh, I think, eight or nine classes left to take, uh, which isn't too bad. I'll just chip away each summer and uh, eventually get the degree. All right, well, that ruins all my business economics questions. So social science. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Providence website lied to me. But uh, yeah. why, why social science? What was the interest there? Um, you know, I didn't really have a huge interest in um, the 
business kind of thing. I just figured like when I first got to prominence, I would click on economics and make that my major because I felt like a lot of stuff in the world was business orientated, but um, social science was more of a general major that I can kind of pick different classes. And um, also if leaving early, which ended up happening, happening would probably be the easiest degree to, to finish um, not while not being at school. It's important to you to finish that degree. Yeah, it is. I think it's important to me. It's also important to my family, knowing that hockey's not going to last forever. So um, to have that piece of paper uh, to fall back on is is definitely important. Well, Tice, thanks so much for giving us your time. Uh, it was a pleasure getting to know a little bit more about you. We found out things we didn't know, including that trombone era back in the day. We yeah. appreciate you giving us some time. Looking forward to seeing you with the Devils getting out on that ice and playing for the big club whenever that might be, hopefully sooner rather than later. And again, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Nice to meet you guys. Thanks, guys. Participate in Predict Your Picks, presented by Caesars Casino and Sportsbook. Devils fans can make predictions for every home and away game this season in this free-to-play contest for chances to win player-signed prizes every game. The more you play, the better your chance of winning our grand prize, which includes a VIP concert experience and Devils signed jersey. Make your predictions at NewJerseyDevils.com slash picks. Sam, I don't know where you thought we would end up in that conversation with Tice. I didn't think we'd be talking about trombones or growing up in Alaska and all those cool things. Well, maybe Alaska because of his dad's career, but boy, it was great to get to know him a little bit better. Yeah. And in the personal side too, you love to see, I mean, these guys are human beings and I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle. We think of them only as hockey players, but they're just human beings that have the same likes, dislikes, hobbies as us. You mentioned, you know, liking the golf. I know he plays Xbox and Fortnite and yeah, finding out that he played trombone, <laughs> would never have guessed that one definitely not but uh love getting the love love getting to learn that side of him and also i love the fact that he said there was never a doubt in his mind that he was going to make it to the nhl even when he got passed over in the draft twice so another another cool little nugget there yeah you've got to absolutely believe you can make it to get there and so we look forward to tice thompson joining the new jersey devils already practicing with them and while he'll have to earn it, my guess is we will see him out on the ice sooner rather than later. So as we turn our attention to part two of this edition of Speak at the Devils, we welcome in our reporter, Jessica Kent. Jessica, thanks for joining us. Hey, Matt. Nice to, uh, I, I want to say see you, but this is a podcast. So uh, nice to be with you again today. Always good to uh, spend time with you. So we know that people uh, love watching players tape their sticks and we know that there's a ritual that the players have on how they tape their sticks and why they do it the way they do but your guest is someone who has taken the taping to a different level in so many ways yeah so this was actually a really interesting one matt i spoke with co-creator of pride tape Jeff McLean, who um, it stemmed from a marketing and advertising company out in Edmonton. It's actually rainbow hockey tape that you may have seen over the weekend. Uh, the players wrap their sticks for warm up for um, NHL Pride Night. Now, it's a super cool initiative. Uh, Pre-COVID, you could have bought Pride tape uh, on the concourse. Um, that's looking a little different this year. But what it's really done for the hockey community and actually sports community is absolutely incredible. There are young athletes who have wanted to quit their sport. Maybe they just didn't feel they fit in. Pride tape 
help them fit in. And in Jeff McLean actually talks about in some cases, pry tape has helped save the life as well. So it's absolutely fascinating interview with him. Uh, he talks about why he created Pry Tape, what it has done, and actually some really cool stories too, like Curtis Gabriel, who, as I mentioned, um, the players wrap their sticks for warm up, but Curtis actually kept Pry Tape on his stick for the whole game. And he actually ended up scoring the game winning goal. So he touches on that story too, and uh, how all the stars align to make that happen. And it's it's really interesting stuff, how it came to be and and where it's going. So then let's introduce part two of our podcast as Jessica speaks with Jeff McLean. Pride Tape has been a huge part of Devil's Pride Night for the last couple of years. And today I'm catching up with one of the co-creators, Jeff McLean. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Jessica? I'm great. Thanks so much. Um, so the Devils, they've wrapped their sticks since 2017 for the warm-up in Pride Tape. For you and your team, I know you guys are in Edmonton. What was that like to see Pride Tape so far reaching all the way in New Jersey? Well, it's it's mind-boggling to be honest with you. I mean, we're still pinching ourselves five years later from the first year. Uh, the Devils were one of the first NHL clubs to wrap their sticks with Pride Tape pride tape but it didn't stop there uh they've been doing so many activations in and around the arena we've certainly made a close connection with joe altino with prudential center and the devils and he has been an incredible ambassador and has become a friend and and just getting to see the the visuals on social media of what the devils do every year it's a real highlight for us i know that all 31 nhl clubs now use pride tape are you surprised it caught on so quickly i can imagine this is just Absolutely amazing for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I like, like I said, I mean, I, we just pinch ourselves continuously. We try and get out to one game and see a different arena every year. I mean, obviously COVID's put a little bit of a damper on that, but we're, we're excited. I've talked to Joe uh, with the New Jersey Devils and, and because of everything they've done, we, we certainly have uh, Joe and, and the Devils on our radar to get there. We're, we're up in Canada, in, in Edmonton and Vancouver, but we want to cross the border and, and see a game somewhere in the U.S. And, and the Devils are right at the top of our list because we've, we've made these close personal friendships with, with people, uh, with the clubs. And, and, and now even all 32 clubs with Seattle. Seattle has been using the tape uh, even before they had the name of their team and, 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 and the colors and their jerseys, et cetera. So it's just taken off. But I think what's helped is, you know, certainly the, the strength of our friendship with the NHL and all the individual clubs. And, and what happens is that they share uh, their passion for it and their, and, and, and their assets, uh, you know, visually, especially with the, the tape. It is such a visual thing. It's a way to show your inclusion uh, and, and your passion for acceptance, uh, you know, from the team's perspective. And, and other teams see that and they want to do something as well. So it seems to be a, an amplification effect. And, and I wouldn't call it one-upmanship. I'd say it's certainly uh, sharing uh, the opportunity to really make a difference in each one of the communities where, where the teams live. So, uh, you know, we, we, we say it was born in Edmonton, but raised in New Jersey. And or or raised in Carolina or San Jose or or you name it, but everybody has taken this on very personally and and made it a much bigger thing uh, in their own communities. And and we just get continually blown away by by the uh, the photographs that are sent to us and the and the and the letters and and how much it means to certain people. It's it's uh, 
I sometimes think that, that that we benefit from it personally a lot more than than the folks that that see those messages of inclusion because it, it just really makes us feel good that that we're helping out and it's all thanks to the amplification of the clubs. Can you touch a little bit more on those photographs and those letters that you do receive? Yeah, I mean, some of the feedback that we get is is pretty heart wrenching, to be honest. Uh, we've we and then also just incredibly inspiring, um, which keeps propelling us forward to want to do more. Uh, not only within hockey, but the NHL has connected us with baseball and lacrosse and other sports and other parts of society. But we've received messages uh, from uh, coaches, officials. Uh, hockey parents uh and 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 even leagues and and teams where you know there there is an individual a young person just not feeling safe in the in the culture of hockey or within the locker room space and and wanting to get out of the sport and and even going to the extent of wanting to commit suicide and then having you know people find out about that thankfully uh before that happens and 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 then teams will reach out and say can we get some pride tape to to show our teammate that he or she belongs uh, in the space and we love them. And it's, you know, that, that happens. I, I've done some situations where I've, I've driven in the winter across the prairies and hand delivered some tape to some teams who, who needed it for a teammate and uh, the teammate returned to the club and continued playing uh, with the organization because of, of what it meant to them. So, um, you know, very, very uh, incredibly touching stories that we get. And I, I, I'm fortunate that I actually work the Instagram account. Uh, so I, I, I'm the recipient on behalf of the team to get the cards and letters. I get, you know, photographs. I have uh, actually, I, I've got a bunch of stuff all over my desk, but this was a, a painting sent to me uh, from Germany. Uh, the other day with somebody, you know, skating on the ice using pride tape on their stick and, and, uh, you know, really nice, you know, handwritten letters. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's very rewarding. Like I said, I think I'm the one that gets all the, you know, the benefit out of, of getting to be a, a working with, with pride tape. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's nice that it's, uh, doing, you know, doing some hard work out there, uh, Thankfully, we, we have some ambassadors that are working a lot harder than us, uh, and there's a lot more we need to do. Sometimes we say it's three steps forward, two steps back. We still are faced with a lot of, unfortunately, hatred uh, online, and, and, but we have a lot of people uh, across the world that, that feel that this is important and, and support us and help us and, and keep moving forward to help people. With that being said, why did you create it? And is it surpassing your goals and expectations? That's a great question. Um, the, I'll try and keep it short. The, you know, the pride tape story uh, was born out of research. Uh, I was working for a marketing firm in, in Edmonton, Calder Bateman Communications, working for my mentor, Frank Calder, who is who's still running the pride tape team that, that I work alongside of, which is Fantastic. We we were working on a project which was a, an idea of a friend and colleague of mine, Pierre Chan. Uh, we came up with a he came up with an idea called NoHomophobes.com, which is a a microsite online that uh, scraped homophobic tweets in real time. Um, it's still up. You can check the data. Um, what we wanted to do there was just basically show people 
how hurtful this language could be. I mean, people were referring to it as, as casual homophobia. We believe there's no such word as casual homophobia. It's all hurtful. But when we kind of put that mirror up to society and they, they saw the, that hurtful language and, and the amount of it in real time, uh, it was quite striking. So once we had the site up working for a few months, we were looking at the data and realized that homophobic language spiked during sporting events, uh, particularly like the Super Bowl was the granddaddy of them all, but also the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. So at that time, we said we really need to do something around homophobia in sport. And, and then the more we started talking to, to friends uh, and, and, and colleagues and other, other people, we talked to the Oilers and Andrew Ferentz, and we discovered that, you know, and even uh, when we, we spoke to the NHL in, in New York for the first time, we realized there's just a lot of young people dropping out of hockey because they didn't feel safe, you know, at the ages of 12, 13 and 14 in, in big numbers. So we said, you know, we'd like to try and do something about this. And is there a way we can create a campaign or a badge of support uh, to the LGBTQ plus community from the hockey world? And, you know, we just thought, you know, we're going to do a typical ad campaign, maybe locally, maybe somebody picks it up nationally. But instead of creating a, a typical, you know, radio, TV, billboard campaign, we actually came up with the idea of a product. And then once we had this product, um, we were like, OK, we got to get it made. And in order to get it made, we had to create a Kickstarter campaign, which we knew nothing about at the time. But uh, my friend and colleague, Cheryl, just kind of took it and ran with it. And then it was that it was that feedback that we got you know, from the Kickstarter campaign that we launched at the University of Alberta. And then the Guardian newspaper in the UK picked it up the next day. And, you know, again, it's that pinch yourself moment while you're working on it that, you know, Frank would come into my office if I was on the phone or in another meeting, he would slip me a napkin that would say like, the Florida Panthers are in, or the Detroit Red Wings are in, San Jose Sharks, like almost every day during the Kickstarter campaign, Different NHL clubs were, were coming on board, including the New Jersey Devils. So that's really what gave it the steam to, to, you know, really elevate it. And it was the NHL's platform and the club's platform that have been inspiring people uh, all over the world. We were on a call last week with the Pro League, with Carl at the Pro League in Australia. Uh, we were on the phone with Baseball Softball UK. We're doing something with them, the Strikeout Hate campaign this summer uh, with them. And we've been working with minor league baseball out of Florida. So, and this was all, you know, basically predicated on the, on, on all the hard work that the NHL and their clubs have been doing for us. So incredibly grateful, incredibly grateful. And how important do you think it is for that young athlete who maybe is considering leaving sports and quitting to see pride tape out on such a platform as the NHL and hockey players? repping it. And maybe to them, they're thinking, Hey, if they can wrap their sticks in pride tape, I can continue playing. Well, uh, I think the, the best, best way to answer that is to tell you another little short story. Uh, I have a picture reason why I looked off, off to my right is I have a picture hanging on my wall, which, which I get to look at every day. And it was sent to me by uh, Rachel Lewis, who's one of the professional photographers with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's a, a photograph of one of the players skating by uh, the blue line with pride tape on his stick. And then, and then up in the stands behind him is a, a young fan holding up a sign that just says, thank you for accepting me. And that means everything, you know, to me when, when I saw that, I, 
I had to reach out to Rachel and she was kind enough to, to send me that large poster and I, I got it framed right away. And it, that seems to encapsulate the spirit of, of Pride Tape because to your earlier question about, you know, what our expectations were around success, we had no idea. We had not done a Kickstarter campaign before. We had not created a product in lieu of an ad campaign. So we sat around for fun one day when we discovered that we can actually production-wise make this tape. And we said, what does success look like? And we kind of decided that if one player used the tape so that another player saw that and felt like they didn't want to quit and they wanted to say, stay in the game, they felt like they belonged and they were accepted, we would be happy with that. And then two weeks later, the Oilers called us and said, we want to use a mock-up of the tape in our skills competition before the All-Star game. And we were like, what? <laughs> so we ended up going to that event and going to the press conference with Andrew Ference and then going eye in the sky up in the, the media section, looking down at the um, at the players using pride tape and then all the photographs by Andy Devlin and, and the, the Oilers the next day. Uh, I, I tell the story of riding up in the elevator because the press conference was in the basement of the old Rexall arena. And then we, we got to go to the, the top of the arena to watch. And as we were going up in the elevator, they had a little monitor off to the side, just as all the players were like jumping onto the, to the ice. And some guy was down low with a camera and all you could see was these flashes of like colors on these tape sticks going onto the ice. And it was like probably one of the most surreal moments of my life going, I can't believe that something that we have, you know, just created is here at this level with, with, with this lens. It was, uh, it was mind boggling. And then going to LA and standing on the corner for warmups next to Will Ferrell as the players are like cycling around uh, the ice all using pride tape and warm up and every single player of the LA Kings using the tape. Um, again, it was, it was very surreal. It, st it still is. I mean, I think every day it, it feels, we always talk about it, that it, it feels like people are finding out about pride tape for the first time. I mean, it's, it's uh, kind of groundhog day for us every, every, uh, you know, for five years now, we, it's, it's still hard to get used to. Um, the support that we get. And it's it's really heartwarming. That's absolutely amazing. Now, I, I'm going to let you tell this story because this is your experience, but let's talk about Curtis Gabriel. I know that um, players wrap their sticks for warm-up, but he actually kept his tape on the stick for the whole game. And he actually ended up scoring the game winning goal and then later auctioned it off as they do. Um, tell me a little bit about that and, and what that did for Pride Tape. Well, uh, you know, I think so much for, for all of us, uh, coincidence and happenstance can lead to some pretty wonderful things in our lives, like just how fortuitous we can be. It was one of those moments uh, that it just so happened that the NA, uh, the New Jersey Devils were, were doing their Pride Night uh, at home. They're playing the Montreal Canadiens. And because they were playing Montreal, it was on in Canada. The game was on in Canada. And it was a national a national game on on, on TSN. So, uh, partner in in Pride Tape, Dean Petrick, who's in Vancouver. I'm in Edmonton. He calls me up and he says, uh, "You got the game on. New Jersey's playing Montreal." And I'm like, "No, no, I got." He goes, 
you got to turn it on. There's this guy, I think he's got pride tape on the knob of a stick still during the game. And so I'm standing in front of the TV with my remote and we're, you know, we're talking on the phone and we're trying to find it. And then he scores and he scores the winner. And I'm like, trying to freeze frame, take pictures, talk on the phone at the same time. We're, we're freaking out. And uh, sure enough, it was Curtis Gabriel scored the, the, the winning goal. Uh, and he still had his pride tape on his stick from warmups. And as we, you know, later, you know, got to become friends with Curtis and, and, and hear the story. Uh, it was, it was much like ourselves where, it was all just happenstance. Like the fact that it was on television, the fact that it was on not only in the United States and New Jersey area, but in Canada as well. He played Montreal. He kept it on the stick. He scored the winning goal. Um, it was just all of those pieces falling into place was, was magical because he told us later that his phone started blowing up after the game about what's this with the tape. So, you know, that's when the NHL called and said, you know, we want to talk to you and Curtis uh, about about this and, and the motivations. And, and Curtis, uh, you know, had his reasons for, for leaving it on his stick. And it's it's actually written up in uh, Firefly's book of the 100th anniversary of the NHL. They did a they did a two editions uh, with pride tape stories in both. Uh, where they where they talk about how we how we came up with it, and then in the second one they talk about Curtis's story. So it, it's just uh, fantastic. And then from there, um, meeting Curtis out in Vancouver again by happenstance, happened to be in town there for the Canucks Pride game when when New Jersey came into town, and we connected. Um, he said, "I'll be in the hotel lobby in 15 minutes if you can be there," and I was like two blocks away. So. Uh, we went and met and talked for for over an hour just about hockey and life and friends and family and and about the night he uh, used pride tape and and uh, what happened to him scoring the winning goal and he just said to me that he's never going to take it off his stick and we said we'll always make sure you have enough tape that you you, you can do that so he's become a great friend and and as he's doing a lot of hard work out there. Uh, with other friends, uh, Brock McGillis and others. And, and we often just say, you know, we just make tape, you make it powerful. It's, it's the people out there that are putting it on their sticks and, and showing everyone uh, belongs in, in hockey. Those are the real stars. And that's at the grassroots level and at the pro level as well. I just love all the stories that have come out of Pride Tape. Um, lastly, I, I want to ask what you think the most creative use of Pride Tape that you've seen yet. I know that NJ wraps his drum in Pride Tape, tape and then it's auctioned off. But what's the best use of Pride Tape aside from its intended use that you've seen? Well, yeah, thanks, Jessica. Another great question because uh, what we often give credit to on the Pride Tape story is the creativity of the people out there that that believe in its messages and we sometimes when we do activations in arenas uh you know we've been there together with the oilers and and we've been there with the the flames and and other teams uh got to get down to new jersey when we can get back across the border for the next pride game uh, hopefully soon hopefully very soon um we have a lot of people that say you know i'm sorry but i i just don't play hockey and and i i have no use for for the tape um but then we tell them about all the folks like I've got hundreds of pictures of people that have wrapped their railing of their balcony, you know, to 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 show people in their apartment complex uh, that, you know, society is for everyone. Not only hockey is for everyone, 
but we have uh, three companies, one out of uh, Sweden, one out of California, and one out of Ontario that uh, makes barbecue utensils out of uh, used uh, broken hockey sticks from the NHL. And they wrap, uh, they've had a set of, uh, Harmsons have had a set of Curtis Gabriel uh, pride tape wrapped barbecue utensils. Um, and then I just think everything from, you know, we've seen it on ax handles, you know, people out in the woods uh, chopping firewood. We've seen it on handles of generators, uh, certainly a lot of bicycles. Um, and then again, thanks to the NHL uh, linking us to colleagues of theirs in, in baseball and lacrosse, Premier Lacrosse League. Uh, Kyle Harrison and, and his group have been incredibly supportive, minor league baseball as well. So this is a, you know, this is a global initiative that needs to be discussed and it needs it. You know, when we say hockey is for everyone, it takes everyone uh, to make everybody, you know, feel welcome and, and, and give everybody that sense of belonging. So the creativity of, of everybody has been fascinating. Like you'll see a lot of fans in the stands that will put pride tape in the numbers of the jerseys. Uh, Chris Moore in, in, in Carolina, he's even cut up little strips of pride tape and put it on the hockey stick in the Carolina third jersey logo. So a lot of creativity out there. And, and as you, you mentioned, uh, I got to meet when we were at World Pride in, in New York a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago. Uh, I got to hang out on the on the NHL bus with the New Jersey Devil. So, you know, we came buddies and, and certainly got my picture taken with him and his pride tape rap drum. And that was a huge highlight as well. So what, what all the mascots have done has been very clever and creative as well. Um, but again, uh, we just make tape. Uh, you make it powerful. So it's the creativity that has taken this to another level. I'll tell you my most creative use for pride tape is I have some in my drawer. When my daughter was learning to walk last year, her little pusher thing, the wheels are plastic. I actually wrapped them in pride tape because yeah. why not? It looks great and it provided a bit more grip. So that's how I used pride tape in my own home. Thank you. Thank you. That's very clever. Uh, again, this week uh, in Edmonton and in other markets that as, as pride nights are, are happening, uh, last night in Tampa, tonight in, in San Jose, and then obviously New Jersey coming up, which we're excited about. Uh, the media have been fantastic, um, whether it's making their own lapel pins uh, for their suit jackets or uh, wrapping the microphone in pride tape. We've been making posts about that. Uh, again, I think that the, the strength of pride tape is that this is an individual act. This is not sanctioned by leagues or teams or you know and i don't want to begrudge all the you know clever marketing initiatives whether it's armbands uh jerseys or helmet decals but i think and we weren't even smart enough to to see the power in it when we created it to be perfectly honest with you it wasn't until we started seeing the videos from the new jersey devils and other teams like the quiet videos of just one individual player wrapping their stick and making the pride flag out of the unfurling of it, you know, onto the stick blade. And we're like going, wow, like that's powerful because that's the individual's choice uh, to do that. Like they believe in what it stands for personally. And it means a lot to us that they would, you know, use their platform to, to amplify the messages that we think that are important. Jeff, is there anything else you'd like to add? 
I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I could talk for, for weeks uh, about, about Pride Tape. Obviously, a lot has happened over five years. We are incredibly grateful to the New Jersey Devils and, and Joe Altano. Um, one thing I will say is that, you know, we continually try and engage and, and, and grow our network of ambassadors around the world. And, you know, I, I'm always looking for content and, and uh, you know, putting that out there to the world. And a person I can always count on is Joe. Uh, from the New Jersey Devils and the Prudential Center. He is certainly at the top of our list uh, of, of friends and, and, and colleagues, ambassadors. Like I reach out to Joe and, and uh, you know, say, hey, do you mind doing a little video for me or a shout out on this? Or um, because right from the start, he's reached out to uh, sharing with us what the Devils have done. And that it just really started us off on a high note. Like I said, the Devils were one of the first clubs um, in the world that that really amplified this at a at a high level. I think I think the Devils always lead the charge uh, with their night, with their pride game, um, and and we we kind of use them for inspiration uh, for other clubs, not only in the NHL but around the world. So uh, really grateful to the Devils and and to Joe. Uh, for for everything you've done, and and again, we just really look forward to the day we can get across the border and and be there in person. I, I was I was thinking about it today relative to the Devils, and it's like I think it was either my I'm dating myself, but my 15th or 16th birthday, uh, my mom made me a New Jersey Devils birthday cake, like with out of the jersey and stuff, and and I you know when it came out, I had to have that uh, New Jersey Devils. Uh, you know, Jersey hanging, hanging in the closet. And I was, I was, I was a fan very, very early on. And then I, I've, I've, I've done some work with uh, hockey for heroes, nine uh, 11 benefit games with the alumni uh, with the devils, Rangers and Islanders back in 2001 and 2002. And so I got to meet uh, some of the, the devils alumni and, and I've had that connection to the team for a while. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really glad to, to have the connection now. Oh, absolutely. Well, Pride Night is April 11th. If, for more information on how you can participate, visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash Pride Night. Jeff, thank you so much. And I'm just so happy to hear of all the success. Oh, thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate it. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, put one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. Just fabulous podcast, fabulous interview. And it's amazing how that venture has grown and impacted the hockey world. It absolutely is. It truly is a worldwide initiative now. And it's so nice to see everybody banding together uh, for the LGBTQ community. It really is nice. So, yes, two for the price of one on this edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care providers of the New Jersey Devils. And that will wrap things up for Jessica Kent and Sam Kassan. I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks so much for your company. We'll see you again soon. Until then, be safe, be well. So long, everyone. <laughs>